It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another big edition of Reliving the War, the podcast where we go through the Monday Night Wars. We started off in 1996, worked our way through 1997, and finally we're here at 1998 WrestleMania for the WWF. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by Simon Tackler. We are available exclusively on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. And Simon, the last time we covered a WrestleMania, uh, <laughs> how do I put it? Wasn't exactly that great, was it? No, it wasn't. And I think we tried our best to be positive about that show and highlight the one and a half good matches that were on it. Um, What a difference a year makes, though. WrestleMania 14 is a completely different show to 13 uh, in execution and success and memorability. If that's a word, I don't know. But yeah, totally different. Now, normally we save our buddy Owen for all the WCW pay-per-views because it's the first time that he's generally seen them. But uh, we thought we'd punish the poor guy enough, making him sit through, you know, super uh, like sold out in 1998 and Super Brawl and all that stuff. And we got to subject him to Uncensored 98 very shortly. So we thought we'd get him on and we'll have a look-see at one of the monumental WWF pay-per-views. And Owen, welcome. It's the first time you've joined us on a WWF pay-per-view since Survivor Series 1997. So you're you're basically big match Owen when it comes to uh, WWF pay-per-views. Yeah, you guys get me in for the big stuff and I don't... I'm more or less like Brock Lesnar of 2014 <laughs> through to 2022. I just rock up for the big paydays and then I leave for, another, for a couple of months. But um, no, yep. thank you for having me for this one. Um, I more or less enjoyed this show, which was fun, um, which is unlike, I don't think I've ever said that on any episode of this podcast. I've been on seeing as I have to succumb to WCW. <laughs> so, but no, it's, um, it's good to be here. It was uh, very, it's, it's really weird seeing how different the production was between WCW and WWF. Like, just the stark contrast was mind blowing to me, especially like big pay per views. Because I've, well, I've I've done a Starcade, and I've done like a bit like the I guess the WCW Bash big the beach, yeah, yeah. But like I tell you what, they they really do just bring out all the stocks for WrestleMania, don't they? Yeah, you're not wrong there. And another thing that I also noticed, too, which is kind of jarring to watch when you see WrestleMania 14. Now, I don't know if it's the same for uh, for you boys, but uh, you both have actually been to multiple WrestleManias. I've been to WrestleMania 33, so we know the pomp and circumstance that happens in a uh, in a WrestleMania week. Doesn't WrestleMania 14 just seem like a big episode of Raw um, when you compare it to like WrestleMania of, of today? Like, oh. You've only you've never really had a an old school wrestling, but not old school because old school doesn't really 
how do I put it? Like, what would you sort of call this era, Simon? Like, late 90s? Because well, it's not quite boom period. This is the start of the Attitude Era, though. This is the first Attitude Era WrestleMania, I guess, because yeah. everything kicks off with Austin here. What's weird, though, we're saying that, even though I was only 10 at the time, because I had watched all the previous WrestleManias, to me, this feels like the first new WrestleMania. I know that makes no sense now because we're up to WrestleMania 38 or whatever, but <laughs> to me, this one still feels different in terms of the presentation and stuff. Yeah, very much. And we'll, let's start off with uh, we're going into it because, first off, it is a hell of an opener that they've got. We always talk about the WWF video packages, but really, to me, watching this opener, it really did sort of seem like this was going to be the last WWF WWF pay-per-view ever. Did you get that vibe too, Simon? Or was that yeah, just and, me? And that's kind of what I mean. The, the video package kind of sums it up. It says that from here onwards, it's a different show. You know, it it highlighted the past and said, even though these men are rogues and they do things in a different way, what they're fighting for is the same. Like the world title is the link to the past, but this is, you know, a new way of doing it. I thought it was a good way of sort of, yeah, bridging the gap between the two eras. Yeah. Oh, and we normally see like. Oh, oh sorry. Money. Actually, I just want to mention they even call it a belt in this video and not the championship or a title, which I thought was, you know, we wouldn't see that today. Very anti Vince. <laughs> I was just about to say because when you like, oh, and you've, you've seen like the WWF production values and, you know, like their style guide and how they like to go about things, didn't just this seem like just pure wrestling? It was awesome. There was such a good promo video. Um, and that's also, and that also kind of continues on throughout the show, which we'll touch on, I'm, I'm sure, because some of the, the promo packages throughout the show were absolutely fantastic. But this was an awesome opener video. And also, like, I've, and like the graphic, like the 3D, like Hall of Fame graphics that they like, that they zoom through was really cool. Yeah. And then, gets to mine and Simon's favorite WWE song, the WrestleMania theme song. <laughs> the Linda McMahon I, WrestleMania yeah, theme song. So good. Me, and Simon, me and Simon dedicated half a podcast to that song back <laughs> in the day. I adore that song. I, I, I audibly popped when it's when the do, 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 do. I'm like, yeah. That's how you know it's like, a turning point and they've still got one foot in the past, though. They're still using yeah. that WrestleMania song and not like saliva or whatever. <laughs> I wasn't complaining. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's so cool. to, As you sort of mentioned, that does sort of, it's the link to the past, but with an eye to the future here. It's a very subdued start to WrestleMania because there's no big pyro and stuff like that. It starts off with uh, Farouk and Karma Mustafa, which is the best way you want to start off a new generation of, uh, of, of wrestling. And this is, well, it's a 15-team battle royal. And we also get our first look at LOD 2000. And oh, I'm going to throw to you a fair bit here because Simon and I, we've probably got a lot of vivid memories from, uh, because Simon, I'm assuming like you, um, sorry, like me, you also basically got this video and watched it or taped it and, until it went absolutely ragged. But um, what did you think of the first presentation of LOD 2000? Their gear rules. Their gear is so freaking awesome. Like, like, because it's just, it's the same theme song. So, and I was kind of like writing notes, and the theme song hit. I'm like, oh yeah, it's LOD. And I look up, and it is the. I like. I also like the fact that 
them taking off their gear took longer than them walking to the ring. But that's just a different, <laughs> that's a completely different thing. But their gear was sick. And I loved how Sunny had the exact same gear, but obviously more like Sunny influence. Mm-hmm. She looked awesome. It was, yeah, uh, they very cool. Like I know like they were, they shouldn't probably have been wrestling because they were very much past their use by date. But in terms of like just presentation, I was all aboard the LOD train. Yeah, people crap on LOD 2000, but watching this again, their first sort of, you know, arrival in this new outfit and whatever, the the outfits are awesome, as you said, and it's a slight remix to the theme music, but it's still got that same uh, beat and whatever, and the crowd still chants LOD to the beat of the music. Uh, You can't criticize it if you take it in isolation. This was a great moment to kick off the show. And let's face it, everyone was sort of doing this. Like when you look back at this era, this is what we thought the future was going to look like. Like everyone <laughs> thought it was going to be like Tron. So yeah. if if Road, if Road Warrior Animal and Road Warrior Hawk want to like cosplay like a couple of uh, extras in Ready Player One, then I'm all for it. Uh, that's mm. what I reckon. But let's get to the match because it's it's a very hard one to sort of critique because it was just absolutely chaos. It's it's bodies everywhere. We talk about how sometimes the Royal Rumble gets too clustered and it's hard to keep track of what's going on. This was just essentially put all the ingredients into the tin and start stirring. <laughs> I hate tag team battle royals. I don't understand the point of them because everyone does them different too. Sometimes it's if you're elim- eliminated, you and your partner got to go. Sometimes it's like, no, no, your partner stays in. This one was if you're out, your partner's out. So there was a lot of screwing around where one guy wouldn't know his partner's eliminated and then has to awkwardly walk out halfway through a brawl and yeah it was a mess but the ending uh it gets down to the godwins the uh the new midnight express and the lod and it's all about the lod this match that was the whole point the godwins try and cheat with their slot bucket the lod are having none of it and then they do a double clothesline like no one can remember anything in the match aside from LOD rocking up and LOD winning. And also that, geez, Bart Gunn is still plaguing us on pay-per-view. <laughs> we can't get rid of the Godwins and the Guns just yet, even though it's a new era. Soon. Surely it's soon. What did you think, Owen, when you saw um, the new Midnight Express? Because I'd love to get your take on uh, on Bart Gunn and Bob Holly. What were they called? Like, wasn't it like Bodacious Bob or Bodacious or... Bob? And it's not beautiful because it was beautiful Bobby Eden back in the day. They kind of updated it. It was like, yeah, Bodacious and oh, I'm going to have to look something. It up. Or... Yeah. See, seeing hardcore Holly with hair confused the hell out of me. <laughs> 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 So I was like, I, I, I honestly, and and because I that was, because I kind of checked out of it because it was a was it was a tag team battle royal, and it's hard really to get bother, track off too. I didn't really bother looking into it, so I actually didn't. I didn't know who the hell they were. Okay, so, so I didn't actually real bombastic Bob and Bojack. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they should have used Shaggy as their entrance music. <laughs> Mr. Say, al- although this is very this is very on brand for WWF because like bom- Mr. Bombastic came out in 1996, <laughs> so uh, two years later they're just <laughs> yeah. like, hey, you know what? That's a good line. Let's use that. It's like That's our true. Sting became the. It's like our Sting became the Crow four years after. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's wrestling. 
Yeah, so uh, both Bob Holly and Bart Gunner eliminated. LOD get the win. Massive pop. And then we get back to the desk. It's, it's funny, too, because like when, every time they throw back to the announcers, JR and King constantly are selling about how big this WrestleMania is, like hmm. the attendance, you know, how big Boston's treating this thing. What I found interesting was the limited amount of countries that were watching compared to what watched now. I mean, it was just like Africa, UK, Canada, and North America. Like, and and they're very appreciative of it too. Like, thanks to everyone watching in South South Africa and all that sort of stuff too. So they said then, through it. They said throughout Africa. So I'm just imagining a bunch of lions and giraffes watching from the Sahara. <laughs> And like the giraffe is using his like ears as like the antenna and have to move him around to get a good signal. <laughs> so I believe here in Australia, we this was one of the first WWE shows you could order on pay-per-view, I believe. Would um, that be through Galaxy though? I think so, because I remember being at my cousin's house and listening to this show on the blacked out preview screen. Mm-hmm. Remember when that you could shuffle through the the channels you don't have and just get the audio. Yeah. And we kind of heard the finish to the last few matches. Um, so, yeah, I was devastated. But anyway. It, it, it was, it's, this is that era of, it wasn't main event. I think it was like, wasn't it called like box office or something main like that? Attraction. Was main attraction. Main attraction. That's the one. But, yeah. But then Fox Sports got it, uh, you know, in the edited version uh, mm. a few days later or whatever. Yeah, so it was a definitely a different time. But mm. it, it, the thing that we've noticed, and it, it, it even happens to this day, like we get a little recap package of all the media appearances that uh, WWF did during WrestleMania week, like DX and Austin on like, you know, the morning shows like with Regis. Austin and Regis is a hell of a combination there. But <laughs> seeing like Flash Funk, aka Two Cold, Scorp- uh, Cold Scorpio, Sable, Mark Merrow, and Jerry the King Lawler doing all this press, w- WWF does these fluff pieces like no one else yeah like, even to this day i don't know why wcw never did them surely they were doing media appearances too but it made the wwe feel big time and that's the whole point of it and also it's fun because you see the wrestlers in a weird context but i love mm. the the contrast stone cold steve austin is on regis and kathy lee Poor flash funk is on a public access show which i yeah. thought was hilarious <laughs> Here's your schedule for the day, guys. You know what pops me? The fact that Too Cold Scorpio looks better now than he did back in 98. Yeah, it's crazy. And he he probably wrestles better now than he he did back in 98 as well. The guy's a machine. I was watching, uh, in I think a few months ago, we were watching whatever one had uh, the the Quebecers in it. Uh, And then, because it was only a couple of days after I saw PCO on the latest Impact pay-per-view, it's just like, some guys just seem to go to the art, art truth school of aging and just seem to look how much better than they do now. Well, it's like how um, a couple months, a couple, oh, it was about two or three months ago, Two Cold Scorpio had a match with Jonathan Gresham for the Ring of Honor world title on a GCW show. And he chain wrestled the entire thing. I'm like, yeah. this is incredible. <laughs> like, I never saw this in 1998. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But um, we'll, we'll get on to our next match, which is the light heavyweight championship. It is Taka Michinoku versus Aguila, a.k.a. Esarios. Now, I didn't realize that Esarios was uh, 19 at this time. Like, mm. these are some pretty young dudes. Yeah, they said he was one of the youngest wrestlers to ever perform on a WrestleMania, which is just, yeah, absolutely wild that they would throw him on the show. Uh, Taka's this- 24 as well. Yeah, Taka yeah. was really young as well. I got to say, this was kind of fun. And... 
I want to make note of this here because I know people have different standards for wrestling shows now. Like, for example, we saw AEW Revolution recently, and that was five hours long, and every match was trying to be, you know, the seven-star classic or whatever, and everyone's going balls to the wall. This show was more of the old-school style where you're building the show. It's building throughout to the main events near the end. And this was kind of an interesting start. You had the battle royal to get the crowd into it with LOD. And then you had this kind of more of just a match match. It's a short one, Mm. but it's a cruiserweight style match. So it's something different. It doesn't really have a story, but it adds to the card and gives you some variety. So yeah, to me, this is kind of an important part of the show, even though it's not, you know, the main event, it still helps. Now, I don't know if you notice this. Maybe you wouldn't uh, notice this one, Owen, but uh, when when the WWF went to those double feature replays, did you notice that that sound effect that they use is the one that is on the lift in Duke Nukem 3D? (laughs) What a a reference! Oh, that'll, that'll, that'll do me, Gus. That is. Oh, wow. Hey. I'm going to say that. Top, you've topped yourself, Nims. <laughs> out of all the Sonic and, NF, and NWO sold out references, you've topped <laughs> That is too deep. Even I didn't know that. He oh. said it to Owen like he should know. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I, anyone, du- I I sneakily played Duke Nukem and Planet of the Babes on PS1. I didn't play 3D, but that killed oh. me. Yeah, if you if you ever <laughs> get a chance, get in a lift in Duke Nukem 3D and it's the uh it's the double feature sound effect. But uh, going back to the match, because I feel like I might have oh. detracted slightly, the crowd did seem a little bit more subdued in this match, like and it's Definitely not on the level of a WCW Cruiserweights, but the WWF have always had that sort of mantra of work harder, not smart. Sorry, work smarter, not harder. And that being said, like it was short, sharp, and concise. And I was actually really surprised to see that many Tucker signs in the crowd. Like, hey, I forgot that, you know, it's pretty easy to dismiss the light heavyweight championship, but you forget that Taka Michinoku was given that belt for a reason. Like, he was actually pretty popular for a very brief period, but still pretty popular. Do you he was probably just lost in the shuffle, Simon? Yeah, I think we've seen the crowd react to him pretty favorably throughout these pay-per-views we've seen him on. And I remember as a kid, it's one of those things, I think to kids he connected because we had never really seen anything like that, especially in the WWE at the time. So he was kind of like a cult favorite, especially at the time. It was like, oh, you know, look at some of the moves he does. And even looking back, my God, Tucker Michinoku could do some stuff. That running jump to the corner and then dive to the outside, which he hits in almost every match, is still amazing. And the Michinoku driver, obviously everyone and their grandma does it these days, but pretty cool move. And that that running, that running like forward sense on that he still does today at age like 46 <laughs> is bonkers. And yeah, the fact that he can and, and again, like, you know, t- we touched on two and on, on um two cold Scorpio just before. Like the fact that like Taka Michinoku still regularly wrestles alongside Zack Sabre Jr. in um, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, mm. and he is he's faultless. Like, he's such he's still such a good wrestler. And yeah, as you said, he was twenty four, almost twenty five in this match. He debuted he he debuted five years prior as well. So he debuted in nineteen ninety two. Jeez. Um, so he's been around for quite a long time already um, over in Japan. But yeah, I, I 
it was pretty cool seeing a really cool reaction. Um, but at one stage, he he pretty much saves S.A. Rios's life. Mm. Um, it was on like the corkscrew um tope they did, and he just didn't rotate enough, and Taka just like moved and snatched him out of midair, so he didn't land on his skull, which <laughs> I thought was very impressive. Um, but no, it was I really like this match. As, as you said, Simon, it was a really good. It was a good way to start build because obviously, like the, the the battle royal tag team battle royal was just slop, hmm. but like this was like a good first step in building everything up to the main event. Yeah. Yeah, you are absolutely spot on there because the battle royal is, I reckon the battle royal is put there, as you sort of said, Simon, people are getting to their seats, you know, things like that. They just want to see, you know, something that's inoffensive that'll start off the show you know, that won't have a big, rather critical eye to it. It's it's it's, it's a very slow burn towards the, um, towards the uh, end. One funny line at the end, JR says after the after Takamichinoku gets the win and Aguila goes and lifts his arm, JR goes, these fine young athletes will be seen for a long time to come. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not there. But, I'll tell uh, you what, though. But- one of the dream matches from the era that I remember as a kid thinking would have been cool were, were the two, like, you know, stalwarts of their divisions in each company. Imagine we got Taka Michinoku versus Rey Mysterio Jr. in, like, 98. That would have been great. Yeah. Anyway. Would have been awesome. Now we'll probably have to settle it for, I don't know, seeing it at a WrestleCon or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, as we get to our little our next little segment, The Rock interviews, he, he gets interviewed by Jennifer Flowers. Now, for those that don't know, Jennifer Flowers, which, what was the, what was the, was she someone that was allegedly had an affair with President Bill Clinton? Well, oh. I had to had to look it up because I knew she was involved with that. Um, so she was someone who claimed that they had a relationship back in the day, like before he was president. He denied it anyway. And then there was like a deposition and a lawsuit and they released some videotapes where, no, he confirmed that he did. And anyway, mm. she was involved, one of the many women at the time who Clinton was yeah. uh, seemingly wrapped up with. So, so it's, a, it's a Bill Clinton reference, not on a WCW show. Yeah. yeah. Both shows they, love some Bill Clinton. They love the Clinton references, didn't they? Bill yeah. Clinton's basically the godfather at this, uh, <laughs> as in like, <laughs> as in the Charles Wright sort of godfather, not the uh, Al Pacino sort of. One. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's a it's how do I put it? It's a very 1998 interview, isn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know what? The Rock is 95% there now, though, because in this video, he's got the, you know, classic Rock T-shirt. He's got the sunglasses. He's got the sideburns. People champ. Yeah, he calls himself the people's champ. He also says, I'm pretty sure this is the first time he says, if you smell what I'm cooking, which obviously would become if you smell what The Rock is cooking. He's so good in this little pre-tape. He, he's asked about what he would do if he was president and in all these different situations. He's talking about that how he would be the judge, jury, and executioner. And it's so great because he plays it off that he has to stop himself and he like, thinks of something on the spot. And he says, nine times out of ten, I'd be a hung jury if you smell what I'm cooking. And he looks over <laughs> at the camera and it's like, okay, we're off to the races and, with the rock. And at one point he said, he said it was like, oh, that'd be orally wrong. I'm, and looked at her and then was like, oh, yeah. I mean, morally wrong. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, nice. Talking about his, the interns in the interns. White House. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. That it's, I, think it's, good. I think it's also one of the first times that he also says lay the smack down as well. 
Possibly, but yeah, you're right. This is like the origin promo of the <laughs> the rock that we'd know and love. And what a great showcase for him to just have an extra segment on WrestleMania to say this is one of our future stars. And it's funny too, because like you could have put like, I'm sure that the whole attraction was like, oh, they've got Jennifer Flowers yeah. on WrestleMania, but they could, literally couldn't have had any, they could have put anyone, they could have put a sack of potatoes there interviewing The Rock and The Rock would just outshine them 20 times out of 10. That's how good he was. Do you reckon we uh, restart the, the man, you got eight minutes. Or do you yeah. want to? I reckon we can get through wanna... the match. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's go. All right, here we go. Uh, moving on to the next match. This is the European Championship, Triple H versus Owen Hart. The DX Band is something that we haven't mentioned. Uh, they play Triple H, but they kind of sort of 50% on the way out there. But um, this match stipulation has China handcuffed to Sergeant Slaughter. And the, the one thing that popped me really high was um, JR saying the line that China's gone chin to chin with Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> yeah. Because pre-plastic surgery China, as we all know, had a fairly slaughter-esque. Yeah, slaughter-esque jaw is the best way to put it. But um, uh, first first part to like, Owen is still incredibly over, uh, even at WrestleMania 1998. And it's just so questionable his booking after Survivor Series 1997. But we'll start off with you, Owen, because this is, this is uh, it's still heel Triple H. But it's not quite the game Triple H yet. He's still sort of figuring himself out. He's definitely ditched all the Hunter Hearst Helmsley. But how much of the modern day Triple H that we all know and love did you see in this Triple H? Because to me, it seemed like basically zero. Yeah. Um, oh, bits and pieces. Uh, what, actually, one of, one of my notes is I like how they're subtly bringing in the green and black gear. Like he was wearing like the black pants, but just like on like the inside seam was like a little bit of like green patterning. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that was really cool. Like, you know, like they're slowly, they're slowly bleeding that into the, into like the look. Um, but no, like, yeah, the hair tied up is still weird. I mean, I, th- I feel like once we get like the hair tight, like no hair tie, it's very much like, you know, attitude here at Triple H. And once he starts, you know, getting some help when with his body, I guess would be a nice way to put it, some enhancement. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when we start getting the proper replaced. I don't think all of us know on love because um currently literally he looks great. Like, you know, he's pretty big and jacked in like current like in this current form that we're seeing here. But uh, give it a couple of years' time and he's about looks like triple H eight triple H. Um so this was no, up I, a mid-card triple H. Like at the time, oh, yeah. people thought he was so cool though. And he was a good worker, like he wrestles really well in this. I think he hangs with Owen Hart here. Yeah, I I agree, and like it, this really does show like like I, I really I actually really really liked this match. I thought this match was really awesome. I it was pretty it was, good too. Yeah. It was like the it was very much the um it was like the wrestling match of the card, hmm. you know, hmm. like because like, the main event was very like you know main event brawl. This was the like, Yeah, they they they've pretty much gone. You two go out there do a wrestling match, and they did a wrestling match, and I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I just. They there was like an old yeah an old school eighties like main event kind of style match and they really pulled it off. Um, was um I have two questions. Uh, why was was Earl Hebner like shoot in ICU or was that like a, a work? Nah, that was for real. And yeah, because Jr. sends him a shout out here, and then Shawn Michaels does before the main event uh, as well. 
I can't remember what happened to him, but yeah, that I was remember legit. Either, yeah. yeah. Um, and was Owen's ankle injury a shoot or was that a work for the story? That I don't know, but it's been a part of the story since the Royal Rumble. I have a feeling it was a, uh, he might have had like a stinger and then they've just played it in to the, st- like, you know, he's probably feeling feeling the effects like Royal Rumble-esque and then they've, you know, it's like how when Shawn Michaels came back in 2002, they always targeted his back, even though mm. his back is now fine. Um, yeah. That was my impression that I sort of got from, uh, but um, uh, speaking about Owen Hart and you talk about, you know, the pure wrestling that is here, nobody, and I will... And I will. This is a hill I'm going to die on. But um, Owen Hart does the best missile drop kick you will ever see. I yeah, bar none. <laughs> it's goes Owen Hart then Okada, and I 100% agree. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, and Owen Hart did both too. He would do like the sideways missile drop kick, then he would do the classic version where he'd land on his back and then kick up back when he was the Blue Blazer. So. Yeah, Owen Hart, in terms of doing moves, was as good as Brett in terms of excellently executing his mm. maneuvers. And they also did a nice spot here. It was like the sting spot where he went for the sharpshooter, Triple H kicked him off into the corner, Owen bounced back and headbutted Triple H in the nuts. I thought that was really fun. And they like, yeah, that po- that really popped me, that move, that yeah, spot there. Good. And then they did a really great roll up. Uh, like pedigree sharpshooter counter near the end too. So you had great in-ring stuff. And then honestly, the slaughter being handcuffed to China thing was really fun too. Yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that China, and I, I pointed this out to um to Rosie because she was watching it with me. Um, I love the, I didn't realize until pretty much the whole segment was over that China's gear was made of handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, like, it was pretty cool. How suddenly awesome was that? <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> and also at the time, Owen, for some context, even though Slaughter was meant to be the babyface authority figure, everyone thought he was so annoying. So that explains the reaction at the end when China powders Slaughter, beats him up. Even though they low blow and cheat, Owen, the crowd's not happy with that. When they when she beat up Slaughter, that got such a huge pop because yeah. I think everyone was like, screw that guy. I always love. I love the fact that China did the full Mr. Fuji powder to, <laughs> yeah. to such a slot, you know, with like the big wind up. Like yeah. it's it, like there is nothing that pops me more than the powder to the face because it's so like, it's almost like a Hadouken style. <laughs> she gets him with a good one. And what's funny about it too, she's literally handcuffed to him. So what was he doing not to notice that this person right next to him was just getting a bag of powder, but it was, he was, he was distracted by all the handcuffs. He had to figure out which one is the handcuffs that I'm attached to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you, like you sort of said, like this was a, a really good match. In hindsight, I, I still have that sort of weird little, um, because Triple H, we saw it, we, we've seen him go on to do his reign of terror and stuff like that. This era of Triple H is so strange to me because it's just like, uh, you're just a couple of, you know, you're T minus whatever till, you know, basically becoming a megastar. So let's get to our next match here. And uh, it's an interesting one because we have a recap of Marvelous Mark Miro's feud with, it seems, Sable, his tag team partner. And it's a strange, 
after seeing you as the wild man for uh, for a good chunk of 1996, Marvelous Mark Mero is actually a better character than, than the wild man ever was. But uh, this feud, very odd. Then you go and add Goldust and Luna into the mix. And then where they're allies with Mark Mero, then they break away from Mark Mero. It is... Well, it's odd, if anything. That's all I could say. But I did like how they referred to it as the beauty versus and the beast match. But um, can you even, what was the big deal? I've seemed to have completely blanked this feud out of my mind some. Do you remember it back in the day? See, I kind of do. But to me, it all bleeds together because the whole Mark Merrow and Sable thing kind of is one long angle where Sable slowly turns on Mark Merrow because he becomes a jealous, controlling husband. But I will say, and give them credit, the video package did a great job because it had a Michael Cole voiceover where mm-hmm. he explained in detail what the storyline was, what Mark Merrow's issues were, and how lovely and beautiful and smart <laughs> and talented and giving Sable it. So <laughs> I'm guessing Vince McMahon or Russo wrote the script. But I thought it was kind of cool. And honestly, when we get to the match, this is the match on the show that was better than it had any right to be. <laughs> yeah, but how cool, like, and I touched on it really briefly and used, you know, the little baby Michael Cole voiceovers. These promo packages for this show were absolutely incredible. Yeah. It explained every single thing that happened between, like, the two parties in, in every match mm. to a T. Like, in like, the, in, like, the tag team title match, it goes back to three months prior. Like, it was just, Awesome. So very well done. Um, and yeah, like, you know, didn't have to watch any Raws to get it, get like my head around the storylines because it was played perfectly for, um, for me. But no, as you said, this match was better than it had any right to be. Yeah, you are absolutely spot on there. I do want to quickly point out, though, was, was I the only one that thought that Goldust on his entrance looked like Wolfpack Sting? <laughs> you did? I don't know if that was uh, on- uh, oh, well, It I actually crossed my before. mind. Yeah. There you go, that's where he took the inspiration from. Also, <laughs> hey, if we're going like real obscure references, I'll see your Duke Nukem and raise you. Boxer Vinny Pazienza, who was in the crowd, yes. he was wearing a Prince Jam of the Year tour hat. And I was very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that was Prince's oh, World Tour man. at the time. Yeah, Jam of the Year from the oh, Emancipation great, album. There great you go. song, though. Yeah, it really that is. a song of rules. While we're while we're staying on Prince, I'll let you know that during my music shift today at work, um, I skipped three 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 songs, but I have no idea what they were. I can't remember off the top of my head, so I could play the full eight minutes of Purple Rain. Oh, um, yes, good man, you're a good man. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're right. This match had it's it's funny too because like this combination, Luna Vachon and Sable. We we forget that they had that well they were the women's division for a good chunk of ninety seven ninety eight and ninety nine before Ivory and Jacqueline sort of and Tori to an extent made their mark uh, in the late not in you know late ninety eight ninety nine but um yeah you're right this is just first off you want to talk about a crowd that knows what they want this crowd anytime Sable even did blinked they would pop it was huge yeah. This ma- match was kind of built on the formula that Mero and Goldust would wrestle, but then they'd get tired and they would have to tag out. And every time they tag out, it never got old for the crowd. I think they do it three or four times where it's basically a hot tag and they go mental for Sable. And you know what? She looks good. I know there was a lot of 
um, talk about, oh, she never wanted to wrestle and she didn't take it seriously. In this one match, if we're only judging this match, she gives it her all and is basically as over as anyone in wrestling at the time. Yeah. I I will see. I will absolutely agree with you 100%. And also go as far as saying that Sable's TKO is better than Mark Merrow's. <laughs> Possibly. Come on. I'm going to like, I, that's another hill I'm going to die on there. Now, Just, spe- speaking of those, speaking of those two and that move was, um, so it's good to see Sable wasn't the only thing that Brock Lesnar stole from Mark Mero. No, no, <laughs> I've heard that before. And I know this now, gets super nerdy. The TKO is a different move. The TKO, it's... you throw him backwards. The F5, you throw him over the front. Ah, that's the same thing. And you also sort of transition to a little bit of like a neck breaker sort of thing too with the well, TKO. <laughs> yeah, the TKO ends almost in a cutter, whereas the F5 ends in a DDT essentially. Hmm. That's but, nerdy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, though, if we're talking about moves, though, Mark Merrow, because of this match, the way it's sort of told, he's the de facto baby face, and he gets to rip out some of his wild man moves. Man, he does some good stuff. He does the double jump moonsault, you know, the, the head scissors. He's pretty good in this match. The wild thing, that was just a sitting star press back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think he's done. He probably hasn't done one since, has he? No, not as like, marvelous. Yeah. yeah, not as marvelous. Yeah, because it was more of a wild man sort of thing <laughs> yeah, to do. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, th- this match is all the Sable show here. And uh, like, it, poor Mark Murray, you got to, I, I will hand it to him a little bit. He at least knew his role in what he was meant to do and build Sable as a huge character here. So I can't really fault that. But um, yeah, pretty decent match. And another thing too, I will also point out uh, while we're talking about Sable's uh, TKO, I reckon she also hits a great power bomb. Like I've, I I yep. haven't yeah. seen, hmm. and wasn't that? Didn't they adapt that as a finish, like the saber yeah. bomb? I think that got such a huge reaction here, and she hit it, and everyone thought that was a finish. Honestly, I thought that was the finish too because I remember her doing the sable bomb. But yeah, moving forward, that would be the move, not the TKO. Um, hmm. So yeah, she picks up the win, and the crowd treats Sable like she is, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I guess. Yeah. Before we move on, can we briefly just talk about how good Dustin Rhodes is as a professional wrestler? Because he... So you go. Well, I just found it interesting. I love how this is a good era of WWF where they sort of throw it back to the past a little bit and don't hide that, you know, other companies exist and they mention like former accolades. I love the fact that they, the JR links that... um, that Dusty Rhodes also was in a mixed tag match at a WrestleMania, uh, the American Dream and Sapphire. Like it's such a, a tenuous link, but and let's face it, I had I completely forgot that even happened. Yeah, and Goldust is another guy who wasn't afraid to sell for you know he sold heaps of moves here for Sable and went down like a sack of potatoes. Mm. He never cared about that. You know, if the match was about Sable, that's what Goldust did. And even Luna, she's so good here, obviously carrying um, Sable sections of the matches. So everyone did a great job in this. Yeah, mm. spot on. It was very, very, very good. Uh, well, I, I was thoroughly entertained by this. And like you, like we sort of said at the start, had no right to be entertained this much by this match because it no. looked garbage. If you saw this on paper, you'd be like, yeah, no, thanks. I'll pass. 
Um, we'll get on to our next match, which is the Intercontinental title match. It's The Rock versus Ken Shamrock. It's called a slobber knocker by JR. And for a second there, I thought I read the match card wrong because Tennessee Lee is in the ring and he's introducing Jeff Jarrett and Jennifer Flowers in what could only be described as the battle of irrelevancy. <laughs> uh, because seriously, <laughs> like... Did they add anything to that? I, I'm the world's biggest Jeff Jarrett fan. You know that by now. And even I've written down here, I'm not sure of the point of this segment. Did you need this? <laughs> I actually thought I was crazy because I thought I knew the whole card of this show, like back to front. And then when Jeff Jarrett's music hit, I thought, oh, did, have I had a, an edited version all these years? But yeah, no, it was just a very pointless uh, ring introduction. Very, very odd. Very odd there. Uh, and did, go on. Hmm? Did you guys notice in the uh, in the entrances the two nerdy white guys singing the Nation of Domination theme song is the most hilariously nineties thing I've seen in my life. <laughs> the guys really- in the crowd. That's because they didn't have the nerdy white guys rapping the song anymore. Yeah, PG thirteen coming PG-13. out. PG thirteen. Yeah, they have to buy tickets to the show now. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what speaking of, one of my favorite things is. There's there's like a, a great reaction gif where it's got like Farouk doing the the black power fist um in the middle of the creek in the middle of the ring and then it pans to a crowd shot of a of a nerdy nerdy kid that looks like Macaulay Galkin in uh, Home Alone <laughs> with Coke bottle glasses also doing it back to Farouk <laughs> wearing like a by any means necessary t shirt. It's, it's so strange. But uh yeah, look, let's looking back at this match, like The Rock does come out with the nation of domination, minus Farouk. And first off, before we even get to the match, can we just say how incredibly dangerous 98, 99 Rock is with a chair? Oof, oh my god jesus. jesus louise oh my jesus <laughs> like hey talk about swing for the fit that's barry bond style swinging and smacking <laughs> like that's how bad those chair shots are and that and, and, and that's peak testosterone barry bonds as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um we, ken shamrock oh, go on i was gonna say we saw in one of their previous matches highlights from raw where the rock hit shamrock with the chair and i think we made note of it we're like, no, no, this isn't the chair shot. This mm. one we saw here was the chair shot when poor Shamrock is on his knees and The Rock absolutely creams him. I don't know what The Rock was trying to do with the steel chair in this era, but between Shamrock and Mick Foley, The Rock is, yeah, absolutely the king, you know, home run king of chair shots in this era. He yeah. swiped Shamrock's face clean off of his head. <laughs> Like that was all face that chair shot in the in the package. Well, the, the thing is too, like with even in the match, all of the rocks chair shots in this era. If you did that in a public street, you'd be arrested. <laughs> like- yeah, yeah, we're gonna get to that because the one in the match I forgot about. So mm. we'll we'll have yes. to go into that. But the rock, I do want to say on his entrance though, he still had the nation music, and the crowd figured out that you could chant "Rocky sucks" to the beat of the music, almost like mm. LOD. And that's something I forgot from this era, but it was really cool. Man, they hated him so much. Yeah, they hated The Rock so much. They are all into Ken Shamrock. Oh. He's all out in a bag of chips. And you forget about that um, because he, so, he just disappeared from the WWF. Like, there was never a big send-off. It was just like, he did he get injured and just never came back? Uh, I think he had some issues with reliability and stuff, so they just chose to not extend his contract, and then he wanted to go to the UFC and make more money, and he did. He had a few more big fights and 
you know, the last big feud with Tito Ortiz. So it worked out for him. But yeah, it's kind of a shame because he had a couple of years left, I reckon, that could have been good. That were wasted away in a fairground in Nashville with no one watching, unfortunately. <laughs> it was still still quite good, though. Uh, the weird sideburns era, Ken Shamrock of 2002. Very odd. Dad Rock, I believe they called him because he looked very much like someone's old man has just decided to take on Kimbo's slice in a backyard. Um, <laughs> going back to the match, uh, the, the people's elbow is still in its beta phase. I've got it written down here because he still hasn't quite nailed it to be the big crowd loving thing that we all know and love but um yeah I, I gotta say this rock you were absolutely right though simon like the rock is at 95 percent full force like he's nailed everything and when you think of the turnaround like this time last year what was he doing was he taking on who did he take on at wrestlemania 13 was it the, was it the sultan the sultan yep with his dad coming in to help him it's a remarkable turnaround. It's two different people in 12 months. Yeah. Um, we, we mentioned The Rock's infamous chair shot. He takes out Shamrock. I'm talking, if if Shamrock was a Lego character, that head would be flying to the fences. Um, but the, the cool thing is, and I guess it's, you know, you don't want to condone chair shots to the head, but showing how much of a badass Shamrock is, he kicks out. He kicks out of the, uh, the chair shot. He kicks out of a chair shot swung to the face. Like he's not even aiming for the head. He hits him front on like Mm. a frying pan in a cartoon. And this was interesting. I remembered this match being longer. I think I had this one and the Royal Rumble one mixed around. They're both good. This one is less of a match and more of just a long angle. And it's all really entertaining because I forgot how quick it wraps up because Ken Shamrock is Superman. He kicks out of that chair shot to the face and then just puts the rock in the ankle lock like a minute later and the crowd just goes wild for it, you know? I think they did the right thing. They didn't have to have a long match here. And that's why I've written it, what a weirdly quick match and also what a weird finish because of that. Because he kicked out of a genuine, like, yeah, bang. knocking on death's <laughs> door. Yeah. And then um, getting straight into the ankle lock. But no, this match was really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, my main note of this match is... I love nothing more in wrestling than The Rock running the ropes. I don't know yes. why, but the way <laughs> The Rock runs the ropes is my favorite thing in professional wrestling. He's got strides yeah. like a gazelle. Just- <laughs> <laughs> and he almost yes. like freezes in time on the ropes. Like everything's yes, just very exactly. cinematic. It's beautiful. It's actually, he must he must have knew, knew he was going to go into, into cinema to make it all beautiful in cinema. <laughs> also, interesting stat here from JR that I've never thought about. He mentions that The Rock was the youngest intercontinental champion of all time. Then he would become the youngest world champion of all time. So The Rock was just like the man for these few years. Yeah, very much so. And um, the, we talk about how short the match is, but I reckon you gotta you got to take everything, including the post-match shenanigans, into account when you sort of take it, uh, yeah. when you add up the match as a whole, because you're right. I think it goes for like probably about five or so minutes. And then we get into the real, like probably the shenanigans outside the ring take longer than the match, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. The post-match was part of the fun, part of the, you know, the whole presentation. And because Shamrock getting hit with the chair puts him in the zone. He gets mm. into the zone. He makes the rock tap out. Then the nation come in, come in and he beats them all up. He even hits Mark Henry with a belly to belly. And the crowd it's an goes awkward looking belly to that. belly. Yeah, <laughs> but still, he, he gets him. He gets him for the he most He gets it, part. yeah. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, a lot of fun. Farouk came out, 
continuing that storyline where the Farouk rock in is street clothes Farouk in very baggy jeans he looks very <laughs> almost scarier in jeans than his wrestling outfit he um, looks like the, he looks like the stereotypical like at, you know how at every high school there was always that really super jack dad mm. <laughs> yeah 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 he looks <laughs> like he, he looks like the um big tiny in um in, in the movie next friday <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. He came out to help his son who was in a fight, but he decided not to help him because, like, you know, you got to learn your own lesson, son. And the rock I, selling of the ankle lock is absolutely hilarious too. It's great, especially with the, the with the bleeding as well. And yeah, so and then we get the the post match. Uh, Shamrock running after the rock on the stretcher is <laughs> just fantastic. Well, we got to talk about that because this was like a screwy finish, and I thought it was genius though. It added to it. So Ken Shamrock has gone so far into the zone, he won't let go of the ankle lock. He beats up like a bunch of refs and fake agents. Anyway, and then he won't, he puts on the ankle lock again, so the referees re- reverse the decision. Because they've done that, the rock is stretched out like a cartoon. He's just flopped <laughs> over the stretcher. They're wheeling him out. And, yeah, Shamrock running 100 miles to beat up the rock on the stretcher <laughs> is just great. And he, like, tips him over, and it's good. The Rock, who's ragdolling as well, too. Like he, he, it's he's got the characteristics of Gumby as he's thrown into like the <laughs> DX band sort of era stage bit. Yeah. And yeah, Shavrock in ninety eight, ninety nine was just one of the biggest stars to the point where we even mentioned it when we're talking about um, DX in your house. Like he was actually seen as a legitimate threat for the title. Yeah, and, and what's great about it too, even though they did a screwy finish, and I know sometimes that can turn a crowd off. It didn't here. At the end of the beatdown, when he raises the championship, the crowd is chanting Shamrock's name. So, yeah, taken as a whole, great segment. Mm, very much so. Um, we'll then get to our next segment, which is the, a WWF Attitude commercial. Now, this is basically the same one that we saw debut uh, in Survivor Series, minus Bret Hart, of course. And then uh, then we go back to... It, it's funny because they sort of... They haven't quite reached the the Super Bowl levels of attitude because at first the WWF attitude is, how would you put it? We're just like, oh, we're, we're gritty. We're real. Like there's no, there's shades of gray, not black and white. Whereas after this WrestleMania and then leading up towards 1999, as Austin's popularity increases, then we get into the Jerry Springer, anything can happen attitude era. Yeah. And that would be the next round of, commercials where it's more over the top and tongue in cheek and whatever. But you know Mm. what? I said it when we saw it at Survivor Series. I'm happy to watch these ads on every pay-per-view and I'm going to say they're awesome every time. These will never get old. These yep. ad, this ad was sick. I absolutely adored it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, um did you notice when they threw back to live that um JR said the the crowd number was 19,000 people for a WrestleMania and throwing back to what we said at the start of the show that that, that that's not that, that's not WrestleMania nowadays isn't it WrestleMania yeah. is I mean well this year WrestleMania is five average matches over two nights but um in front of 60,000 people yeah but yeah it's so weird that, that WrestleMania was just a TD TD Garden which is where they do raw Mm. 19,028 is what JR went and said because I went and noted it down to it. Just like, <laughs> is that just that have just gone to the bathroom now, JR? Or like, then you remember, like, wow, this is 
Oh, really? Well, even the set, it's the same one that they used for Royal Rumble, but someone took the Royal Rumble sign down and put up uh, the WrestleMania logo. But uh, our next match here is a, it's a dumpster match. Uh, the dumpster gets rolled out and it's Terry Funk and Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack versus the New Age Outlaws. And did you notice that they beeped out? Well, they didn't beep it out, but they bleeped out. Well, they the F. The, yeah, the F in yep. WWF when the Road Dog said it. Like, that was weird. That's weird because they've said it at every other point of this show, haven't they? I know, right? It's- yeah, that's what threw me for a loop. Huh. Hmm. So strange. So strange. Because um, I was wondering, like, oh, maybe they got the original. Because, because before the WWF Network, there was that WWE Classics on, on Demand 24-7 channel. And that's the one where they had the really awful. Remember, there's like an era of WWF DVDs where there's so much blurring that it's just oh, unwatchable. Yeah. And, and everything's censored and there's weird gaps in talking because they can't say World Wrestling Federation either. Yeah. Maybe this was one of those versions left over. Uh, and that's just one thing that I forgot to put the F back in. But <laughs> yeah, put hey, the look. F in. Yeah, but it looks, it is what it is. And um, uh, all I got to say, like, the New Age Outlaws played their roles to an absolute T here, and if I'm I, and I'm saying this in the most positive way, I can this is a garbage match? It's it's a it's a hardcore off the time garbage hardcore match, very ECW influenced, and yeah, it, it's not bad. It it fits what it's meant to do, but yeah, it's it's nothing to write home about because it's not exactly a five star classic. And Jr. admits it at the start. And Foley took the dumbest bump I've ever seen anybody take in professional wrestling. When when he went to when he went to do the senton off the top, off the off the um apron, and he got pushed into the dumpster and then hit and then did a back bump on the floor. It was the grossest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, this match was pretty average. Mm. Um, apart from all the stupid bumps that all the guys took, that was about it. Yeah, I think for variety's sake, it was good to have on the card because it just, I think that's why I look back at this pay-per-view fondly because it has a little bit of everything. Not everything's perfect, but you get, you know, a wrestling match, you get a fun over-the-top brawl, you get the mixed tag match, you get cruiserweights, you get a battle royal, and then you get this, whatever this is. And yeah, well, I don't love these kind of matches, but yeah, there was some big fun bumps in it. Well, all I was thinking while I was watching it was just like, it just took me to the, if I sort of flashed forward to WrestleMania X7 and uh, WrestleMania 18 with those hardcore matches because it kind of, that's how long it took them to sort of perfect. Hey, if we're going to put a hardcore match in, this is how we make it good. So, for the, because f- I'm pretty sure this would be the first hardcore match at a WrestleMania, wouldn't it? Well, I was thinking that too, but you know what? The Chicago Street Fight from WrestleMania 13. We kind of have to give that one credit, even though nobody else does. And to be honest, yeah. that one's a better match, and that had Ahmed Johnson in it. So, you know. Yeah, but but I'll argue that the Chicago street fight is a street fight. This is like, you know, if we're going, this is the precursor to the, like, the, the 20, because all the better WrestleMania hardcore matches are for the hardcore championship. It's in its own division. Oh, like, true, I guess. The street fight, you could argue, is like it's a wrestling match. Like it's still in that wrestling sort of division, whereas yeah. this is. Well, this goes Peter. backstage. You're right. It goes backstage. Yeah. Hey, you know what? The backstage bit, though, where Terry Funk drives a forklift to <laughs> forklift them into a dumpster and close that it. That's hilarious. That's kind of cool. That's like, you know, weird, underrated WrestleMania moment. 
And it also explains why every single backstage arena in every <laughs> WWF game since WWF SmackDown in 2000 has a forklift there. But I, I, another thing I've written uh, I've written down here too is like unprotected chair socks in 1998 are really tough to watch <laughs> in this day and age, isn't it? Oh, yeah. These guys were willing to just take them right on the head. Um, mm. And like JR said, he got his sayings mixed up, but he said Cactus and Terry Funk are tougher than government mules. And, you know, he was right. Mm. Um, we'll move on to our next match. after. Oh, yes. I was, uh, yeah, we mentioned... Um, so that basically Terry Funk throws the outlaws into the dumpster and then seals the dumpster with a pallet on top and traps them in there and to get the win. Crowd, to, to, the, to, the, um, to their credit, the match is loved by the crowd. It's not like they're sitting on their hands yeah. considering the fact that a good chunk of it happens backstage. Uh, we then get to our next match, which is the, the first ever encounter between Kane and The Undertaker. And it is a fantastic video package to set up the feud. And it's so jarring, isn't it, now seeing old school, like new generation WWF footage in this sort of timeline of WWF. Yeah, because we're seeing some classic highlights of The Undertaker. But to me, the the highlight of this video package, there's a couple. The segment on Raw where they like, oh, are they becoming friends again? That's an awesome moment. But then when The Undertaker comes back from being burnt in the coffin and him and Kane are like, your powers will never match me and they're setting things on fire, (laughs) that whole segment from Raw is fantastic and I'm glad a lot of it is in this video. What did you think, Owen, watching the insanity of this feud compiled into five minutes? Incredible. And then once you add in the absolute absurdity that is Paul Bearer, like <laughs> yeah. this whole Undertaker, like this incredible. Like, and again, these video packages were long, but they caught me up on everything that happened in the past two months. And that's all that mattered to me. Um incredible. Well, because I so the last time I was on a WWF show was Kane's debut. Mm. And um, Survivor Series in with the with the awesome red lights that was sick. Um, so like seeing like seeing it progress in that little package to now to Mania was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And this is the yeah. argument for long video packages because twenty something years later we can watch this pay per view and we don't need to catch up on the TV in between. So it becomes evergreen. Just put the video yep. package in. Yeah, yeah, meanwhile, which is something that we've been very critical of, like AEW. Like if you if you just dial into say to Revolution, the the 30 seconds that they do to wrap up to sort of pump you for the match is just like, what's going on there? But their so you video can sort of see- package, if like I know we don't do modern stuff, their video package for MJF and CM Punk didn't do that few justice at all. If you no. only watch the pay-per-view, you wouldn't think it was good as it was the build. Yeah. Especially the awesome like the, the fantastic promo work by MJF and and you know punk channeling like an old school sort of like none of that is conveyed yeah. in um in in a, a modern day view and you know um that's neither here nor there but we'll get to the match we'll start off beforehand with Pete Rose who comes out and cuts a heel <laughs> promo on the Boston crowd. <laughs> Now, this is the first appearance of Pete Rose, which starts off a chain reaction of um, his interactions with Kane. It's just so weird just randomly having Pete Rose there and then get tombstoned by Kane. Yeah, it makes no sense why he's involved with this match 
or why he's in Boston or why any of it's happening, but it's it's great. Yeah, the lowest tombstone I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Pete Rose took all of that on the top <laughs> of his dome and it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> hey, he was game for it. We got to give him credit there. Now, I would like to ask you to do something because I want to transition into this incredible entrance for The Undertaker because mm. his entrance was just awesome. Yeah. Um. Was this like the debut of the Ministry Undertaker? Because wasn't that what he wore for the Ministry, like the big like spike back piece? It's not quite yet Ministry Undertaker because Ministry Undertaker has that weird, um, like the, you know the weird robey thing with the like the he looks look like sometimes he, as well. Yeah, he looked like a uh, like a druid on like absolute you know king druid like super shredder of of druids when he's a ministry taker and he's yeah. got the weird uh he he's got the weird um james well, mitchell father james mitchell sinister minister sort of look yeah okay because i because yeah I, I that's for me when i think undertaker i think that like that's the undertaker i think of with like the really cool like back piece like kind of like a like a crucifix behind him looks awesome i, I love i love this entrance robe Oh, mm. this entrance in general, though, like this was the first real like show mania entrance. mania entrance for The Undertaker. Yeah, you had the lightning and thunder to start, then O'Fortuna kicks in and the crowd went nuts when the Druids walked out with fire and then The Undertaker's music hit and then he had a new, you know, new outfit. This was big time Undertaker WrestleMania entrance. Yeah, it, it was yeah. sort of it set now- the building blocks. One thing ruined the entrance for me, and it was a sign right on the entranceway. I don't know if you guys saw it. Simon made because he's giggling. No, it was a sign on white paper in black text that just read "Poop Dog 316." Oh no! <laughs> uh, you know, you know what? They always use this shot in every Undertaker video mm. package, though, of him walking through the fire. They've obviously cropped out Poop Dog, and I'm sure he's feeling about it. <laughs> Poop Dog 360. Also, you go, you go. No, no, get you go. Go on. I was going to say, when because when Taker and Kane went the face, like they were about to go face to face, JR goes, two seven-foot wrestlers, even though 45 minutes earlier in the um in the WWF attitude package, Undertaker added himself a six foot ten. But anyway, <laughs> kayfabe brother. JR's generously rounding up. He only deal he only deals in uh in, in one decimal place. Yeah. Um <laughs> But let's get to the match because this is the best way I can describe it is Kane is doing the Undertaker shtick on the Undertaker. Yep. Yeah, this is a better version of the Undertaker versus Undertaker from SummerSlam 94. Like, what if you had a guy who was actually (laughs) good? And Mm. I'll tell you what, for a big man match, these guys thought, hey, let's try and do some different things. They're hitting springboard moves. At one point, the Undertaker somehow appears on Kane's shoulders, like in an electric chair situation. These guys go for it. And credit to the Undertaker as well. This might be one of his first crazy dives. He hits oh. dive to the outside into the Spanish announce table, which was super oh close to the ring, and just absolutely goes head first into it. It's one of the spots of the night. Can we please go into depth about the Carlos Cabrera sell? 
he fell in slow motion. He fell in slow motion. It was sensational. <laughs> like the, the, the Spanish announce team just got like exploded. Like they got hmm. obliterated. And like also the way that the way Taker hit that that commentary desk, he hit like hip first on like the end of on the edge of it. That would have hurt real bad. But um yeah, Carlos Cabrera is my MVP of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's but you're right that spanish announcer but it was like it was made out of a cereal box it just sort of <laughs> went, poof, just. and and the and the prize in the cereal box was carlos cabrera's cell <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um like it's it's definitely like when you think about this this match at least for me it lived up to the high but it could be childhood nostalgia coming in because we've been waiting since bad blood mm. for this payoff and it's so well done uh, as we get towards the end, even the rest holds are like not stock standard undertakery rest hold sort of things. It, it it all makes sense. It's methodical. And three tombstones to put Kane away. Kane being the first person to kick out of the tombstone is also fantastic. And I, I do like the lazy kickouts from Kane, though. It's very much like a, eh. yeah, well, like, you know, no, I yeah. can get out of this. I thought it was a nice touch, though, on the third tombstone because the Undertaker knew this was serious. He didn't pin him with the um, like coffin pin that the Undertaker would do. He actually did hook the leg, press and hook the leg, you know, because he needed to hook the leg for leverage. And um, Kane that- kicked out if we if we do on like four, like it was oh, one, yeah. two, three, and then Kane kicks out to just show, like you know, like. Hey, I still I could still kick the crap Gave out of you. the old Hulk Hogan. You'll pin me, but I'm kicking out on three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a good match, though. This match divides people. I've heard people say they don't like it. I remember liking it as a kid, and looking back I, as a match, I thought it was good. It's as someone who this was the first time I've seen that I've seen this match. Yeah. Um, I love this match. This match was great, as you said. It was just really good. It was a different type of big boy match. Yeah, you know, most big boy matches are just two guys beat the shit out of each other. Mm. Whereas this was, yeah, they, you know, they do like the, the the tope over the top, and they do awesome run spots. <laughs> oh God! Um, and Bless they make you. me sneeze apparently. So, <laughs> but no, this match was sick. Um, I really enjoyed it, and yeah, like the fact that it took what three tombstones to get Kane down. Awesome, because it showed that he was like the stronger brother, like so to speak. But no, I really liked it. The um, there's a post match beatdown by Kane as well, and he tombstones Taker onto a chair. Gee, steel chairs are really the MVP of uh, this pay per view. It sort of seems. I'll be but, honest, um, I didn't remember there was a post match beatdown. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah, it's never spoken about. It's always like, and the Undertaker beat him, but then yeah, no, I Kane reckon, beat him up. I reckon it's cut out of the VHS. Because oh, really? I've, I've I've got like that one hour highlights VHS where I was telling you about that like the yeah. the weird one, um, as part of a, like a compilation. I it's I because when I saw it, I'm like oh there's more to this. So um, hmm. Taker still does the the dead man sit up, and I gotta say, unfortunately, there hasn't been a better Kane versus Taker match because we've seen a hell of a lot. Yeah, would, would you disagree with that one? Like that's not me being a smarky smark. Like I, the the match at WrestleMania 20 was great for. The nostalgia feels, but even then, that was pretty poor. But no, I, I agree. I, I don't think there's been a better Kane versus Taker match. Like they yeah, should have just left yeah. it at that. Yeah, I think this was probably the, was probably tops at all. Yeah, and they had a weird feud in like 2010 where no match was good. Yeah. Um, I don't think they ever got it 
better than this. I agree with that. I look back at this match fondly. I think it's good. Mm. Um, it, it's an interesting one. We'll get to our next little uh, video package here because it's one of it's a WWF Attitude commercial that I actually didn't remember that happened. It's Freddie Blassie Gorilla Monsoon, and I don't know the the last bloke that's in that. Who is the, uh, the third? Big Cat Ernie Ladd. So uh, it's like old school Hall of Famers in this one, right? There you go. Yeah. So Freddie Blassie and Gorilla Monsoon, like, and uh, Ernie Ladd is it? Yeah. Yeah. They're basically just putting over the current talent, just saying how good they are. Uh, and it's an interesting take on the WWF attitude um, ad that we've seen, you know, pretty much spammed for the past couple of pay-per-views. I love it because, again, it's like passing the torch to this new era where I forget who says it near the end. It's like, you know, they used to cheer for me when I was in the ring and they're like, now, you know, I sit and I cheer these men on and yeah. they do things I could never do and they fly through the air without yeah. fear. I think. What a yeah! What a great way to say that. Hey, you know these are the guys who you should pay attention to now. It's something that uh, you don't <laughs> with every Saudi show you generally don't see <laughs> in this day and age. But um, now we come and take their money again. Like yeah, it wouldn't work now. <laughs> and yeah. then we go to the main. Here we are, as you mentioned, Owen. This is the meat and potatoes. This is the basically the tent pole that everyone talks about WrestleMania 14 as being a great pay per view. And we'll start off with a cool little video package of the media circus that followed Mike Tyson when he was uh, part of the WWF and DX specifically. And I guess because we don't live in America, Simon, like I didn't realize like how much of a big deal this was when Tyson did join the WWF for that brief sort of period. Yeah, this was huge. And I guess we would have missed some of the hype because I'm sure on sports tonight, this was the play of the day for a few weeks, yeah. you know, any time oh, Tyson was speaking on. Speaking of amazing, this episode is full of incredible references because that's my <laughs> favourite so far. Is Bill Wood still hosting? I think it would be probably Tim Webster here. Yeah, it would have been Tim Webster <laughs> here. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, and I think it was huge because this kind of turned the tide for the WWE. They were getting a serious look. It was like, oh, my God, look at Mike Tyson. And Tyson wasn't just showing up. He was showing up on a few episodes. He had the great showdown with Austin, which is just amazing TV, that segment where, you know, Austin and Tyson go at it. You've got JR screaming. You've got Vince screaming. You've ruined it, damn it, to Austin. Yeah. Um, and then... A great twist was Mike Tyson joining DX. So, you know, yeah, this was huge. What a big feud. And Shawn Michaels' last feud for four years. What a way to go out, I guess, looking back at it for that short period with maybe his biggest feud at that point, box office-wise. It's absolutely crazy when you sort of think about it. And um, so Mike Tyson's out first, uh, being played out by the D-Generation X band, but then Austin... Austin walking backstage, like a video of Austin walking backstage towards the entrance gets a mega pop. And we've mentioned this numerous times on, but they need to do that again. Yeah. Those with shots. That, that main event heartbeat sound effect that they would use for pay-per-views. Don't know why they don't do it. They do it on NXT sometimes. Obviously, Shawn Michaels and Triple H look back fondly at those entrances. Yeah. I think it adds to the hype because you get like a buildup of extra anticipation. Really cool. Because they started doing the Heartbeat Survivor Series 97, didn't they? Yeah, at some point around then. Yeah. Definitely in 97. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just... Oh, going on. 
Can we just appreciate, speaking of entrances, um, Triple H just full-on flipping off the camera? <laughs> like, just, and it wasn't even blurred out, just straight up, just like a big old one single bird right in the lens of the camera as they walked as they walked out to the ring. It's pretty crazy. Like, just, like, when they talk about how they really steered into the degenerate sort of like, hey, F authority sort of thing. Like, they were real... And I don't want to say, like, that's why, in my opinion, you can't really compare the NWO with DX, no matter how much people try to do so, because they're two completely different factions. But um, HBK being played out by the DX band should sound cool, but, like, after you see actual bands play out, like, Triple H's, um, like, Living Colour playing out CM Punk, seeing Motorhead play, uh, even seeing Drowning Pool play Triple H to the ring. The DX band just doesn't quite cut it for me. <laughs> I'm See, sorry. I, I remember oh, this I, I not love, being good. This. Yeah, this was better than I remembered. Maybe I had low expectations. So you, what did you think, Owen, seeing the Chris Warren band? No, I love, I love this performance. I have this in one of my notes. I do love this. is one of my favourite Mania performances. I, I've, I've always loved this. Um, I've always loved this, this entry, this live entrance. I think it's sick. And Shawn Michaels <laughs> is so into it. I think he's a mix of excited and angry at the situation, but he is so jacked up during this entrance. He goes up to the band, he's giving them high fives, but he has a look on his face like, I can't believe this is all happening. And now he does have, he does have jobber face on. It's great. But it's, Um, it's, it's a weird (laughs) one because he looks into it and really annoyed. Yeah. Um, I also really love, how you can tell Kevin Dunn was absolutely directing this entrance because of all the goddamn camera cuts. <laughs> there was the, so the much. DX entrance is, it was, yeah. it was, it would flash between like live footage of the entrance and then Chris Warren band and then the usual vignette. And then it was epileptic. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to slightly give that one a pass because that was oh, the DX entrance. Yeah, it's no, pretty but, cool. But, but the what thing about is like Jim D- Johnston on bass? That's a little Easter egg if you're looking. Yeah, closely. I did pick that up. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right though, Simon. Like I've written down here, big match feel, and HBK looks like this is a man that's meeting his maker. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I can't <laughs> believe it. Look what we've done. We've got Mike Tyson and a sold out show, and I've got a broken back. It's all very <laughs> frustrating. Um, just for those trivia buffs at home, I always like to mention a video game uh, tidbit uh, when it comes to ring attires. Triple, uh, Triple H, not, it's not Triple H, sorry. HBK is in his final game attire. Before, every single appearance he's had in a video game post-1999, he's been wearing this attire. In WrestleMania 2000, this is what he's wearing. In SmackDown 2, uh, that's what he's wearing. In No Mercy, he has it as a separate attire. But yeah, this is his... The primary, this is what Shawn Michaels looks like uh, when it comes to video games. It's, it's funny when you think about it. Like, there could be people that have bought a SmackDown game in this era when it came out that have never seen Shawn Michaels wrestle live. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was retired by that point, and that's the outfit they know. But what a great outfit that red with the DX logos on all the hearts and his hair braided. Like, yeah, this is the Shawn Michaels from the video games, and it's pretty cool. Mm. Very awesome. Um, there is a, a really funny spot and kind of cool too, where HBK gets pantsed and uh, <laughs> yeah, does a whole running spot with his ass out. He even takes a back yeah, onto Triple H. Literally, 
like I, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. It's funny too because Shawn Michaels' ass makes a great appearance in great matches at WrestleMania. If you if we go back to the ladder match at WrestleMania ten, there's a bit where Razor Ramon and full cheeks around <laughs> on top of the ladder. He so very, um, he has a very perky tuchus. He does. He does. <laughs> Some might call it the greatest of all time. It's a grace to read. <laughs> Until Kenny Omega bears his ass at like an all out. Uh, Literally. <laughs> he's got that. He's got that over him. But um, yeah. Oh, actually, no, I'm fairly certain. No, I'm fairly certain Omega's bared cheek in a DDT match before. Okay, there you I'll go. go th- I'll have to go through the history books. Well, it's definitely what? something that's been passed on by the greats because Ric Flair would do it, then Shawn Michaels <laughs> would do it. So maybe, you know, Omega's paying tribute to them. Yeah, so the this, the age-old debate of Shawn v. Brett is decided on, have we ever seen Brett's ass? Well, I don't um, think we have. There you go. He wore the singlet connected to the tights. You could never see it. Never what were you hiding, oh, Brett? What were you hiding? That- he was. It was a. It was a washboard. It was nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, going back to the match. <laughs> There's just, it's just a basic hinge for Brett. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- that is a great spot where HBK gets backdropped on Triple H, and then Triple H gets um gets booted out. Uh, and what have, what have I written here? Um, oh yeah. <laughs> The action then spills onto the outside. And the thing that I love is the symbols from the DX band also get involved, like, in, in use. I always love props, like, physical props. Like, it's fantastic. Yeah. For Austin, it wasn't good enough that Triple H was ejected. He chases Triple H down the aisle, throws him through the drums, the drum kit, and then, yeah, Shawn Michaels uses a symbol to attack Austin. It's just, you know, a bit of extra fun. And it added another wrinkle to the match because, okay, DX have been ejected, but Austin still has to deal with Mike Tyson being the enforcer and seemingly a member of DX. Very good main event stuff. So good. Also, we we touched on how HBK is incredibly injured here. He's basically like tied together Bruce Reed style with just cello tape and, and staples. But um, he's bumping like a madman. Like, yeah. He's just ragdolling left, right, and center here, but it's it's crazy. And they even spill out into the outside in the timekeepers area. This match is just going all out. There's a bit that I, I've made note of here. Do you guys know what the fans were chanting? Because I don't. What the fans were chanting while HBK had Austin in the corner. Yeah, it took no. me a while. Um, I had to rewind it, and then it hit me. They were chanting, Sean is queer. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Which was a, you go. a twist on the other chant at the time of Sean is gay. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. And then he flipped them off. It was a different time. It was very much. Now, very we, 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 we did just go on a bit of a tangent about Sean Michael's ass, <laughs> but we also saw Steve Austin's. That's right. When Mike Tyson hoiked him back into the ring and gave him the most <laughs> atomic wedgie I've seen yeah. in pro wrestling, oh, it was I a love proper. That was a proper like year six bully on a on a nerdy year two style wedgie, straight have, up the slot. <laughs> I am so glad that you said that because I have literally written down, and I'm not joking. It actually says here 
Uh, Tyson almost atomic wedgie Austin. (laughs) (laughs) It legit. (laughs) But yeah, putting him back in the ring. And um, now there is no ref here because Mike Yoda gets stink faced basically by um by Shawn Michaels. So there's a lot of ass work happening in uh in, in the main event here. <laughs> Actually that's but... funny because because my 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 note on that is Kyoto got violated. <laughs> 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 but um yeah there is there is no ref after Mike Kyoto gets stink faced and Sean climbs to the top rope, does the flying elbow and sets up swin chin sweet chin music. And I've written this down, and I will go on record as saying this. This is my favorite ever finish to a match. That last ending sequence is just so good. We yeah. see it on replays all the time, and I was trying to think about it. Was this the first fancy reversal ending to a main event in like WWE history? Because it felt Maybe. like this became commonplace later, but this was the first time I remember seeing anything like this. And yeah. Me and my brother would do this spot all the time around the oh, house. Same years. Because it was, yeah, like super kick, duck, stunner, push off, catch the kick, spin you around, stunner. It is brilliant and flawless and almost worth the whole match. Because these guys, we saw their match at King of the Ring 97, which was technical and they both had their athletic ability. It's a very different match. This match, they can't do it. Austin's neck isn't the same, and Sean's back by the end of the match. He's limping, he's Mm -hmm. grimacing, he's not the same, but that end sequence was a flash of what these guys could have done, you know, and it's perfect. So good. Like, everything from the minute Sean gets off the top rope, like, does the flying elbow, tunes up the band, goes to the full kit and caboodle, Austin, and... That's that's how you do false finishes, I reckon, because him ducking the switch in music, getting out of the stunner, going for the kick, and just the spin is done yeah, so perfect. So good. The spin is done brilliantly, and HBK sells the stunner. Oh. Doesn't overdo it, doesn't underdo it, does it just right. The one thing that isn't done right, though, how fast does Tyson count? <laughs> oh, so good. He... <laughs> It was quicker than El Hebner's count in bloody Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> it was just boom, boom, boom. Like literally yeah. blink and you've missed that three count. <laughs> well, if we believe but, um, the conspiracy theories, you know, of Shawn Michaels not wanting to do business and didn't want to do the job, maybe they worded up Tyson backstage and they were like, when you go for the pin, count it fast because we don't know if this dude's going to stay down or not. Mm. <laughs> maybe. That's, uh, I, I, I lean towards knowing how... Mike Tyson acted with a live mic around, like, you know, calling, saying Cold Stone and uh, <laughs> referring to Shawn Michaels as Heartbreak. I like, could, just you know, I want to say him calling him Heartbreak is kind of cool. And I think we should have kept that. Why does no <laughs> one call him Heartbreak? It's kind of cool. <laughs> but I, I just reckon that, you know, after all those repeated blows to the head for Mike Tyson, maybe the, the fact that he actually was able to string three consecutive <laughs> taps on the canvas is something that we should not take too much for granted. But, yeah, the crowd goes absolutely wild. Austin wins. Uh, we all know that fun fact. He's the last man to hold the winged eagle belt, officially basically kicking off the Attitude Era. And there's even a mega pop. I love the little bit at the end where Tyson and um, HBK has the little, the little altercation. HBK sells that punch to the face like, uh, like he's just been shot. It's fantastic. Oh, it's a great WrestleMania moment. Shawn Michaels is devastated that Mike Tyson, you know, isn't really a member of DX. He goes for a punch and 
Tyson, as quick as he can do, just jabs Sean on the chin and Sean just drops like a sack of crap. And it's awesome. And then they lay an Austin 316 t-shirt on Sean Michaels' head to say, see you later. It's all over for you. Yeah. And Shawn Michaels was very angry and disrespected by that. But anyway, great moment. Oh, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> was this this was Austin's first world title, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Cause he because he 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 what one he was what tag team in WCW? He was a TV champion in WCW as well. Okay. Yeah. Um maybe US champ as well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, yeah, belts. he wasn't. He wasn't TV. He was US. You're right. Yeah, because he because he had that feud with um Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, back in um WCW, and he was a tag team champion there too. Didn't hold any gold at all in ECW. He was literally just there, um, and he didn't want to, for what I recall. Mm. And um, yeah, multi time Intercontinental Champion, and yeah, this is his first world title. That's crazy. And what a reaction he gets, though, to end the show, like, with the title. It felt like the right move when you see that reaction. And they still use that shot of him in the corner holding the title for the first Mm. time as well. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, You know what I love, too? Right at the end of the show, I think they still do it sometimes. Yeah, that video package. How do these dudes put together a video package right at the end of the show? Very impressive. I've put down the note they don't do the video recaps anymore. I want to know when did they stop doing it? No, I thought that they do. They, I thought they've done it recently. They did it at the they they definitely did it at the Mania Simon and I were at in twenty eighteen. But I yeah. don't think they air it because remember because we've watched a couple of Manias together. Like they didn't do it at the end of thirty five. They did one. I swear they did one at the end. They did one of- last year. Did they? I can't remember. I huh. sw- I think they did one at the end of the um the first two night mania in the performance center. I feel like there was one. Okay. Maybe, yeah, I did. I maybe they do. They? Maybe they do. I don't know. But no, maybe no, they do. It's not all the time though. It's definitely not yeah. every year. But it oh, but be. they used to do it all the time, yeah. all the time. And because because I still remember the, the best one. And I know you had a dig at saliva before, but WrestleMania X eight when they did the to Saliva's Superstar. Like, that was the best video package I've ever seen. And you're right. How they turn it over so quickly is crazy. Or the X7 one, which uses my way again. Mm. And when you see that pay-per-view, even just recapped in five minutes, it was amazing. So we'll get to that in a few years. Yeah, very cool. But um, let's get through final thoughts, boys. We'll start with you on because this is... Is this the first time you've watched WrestleMania 14? In its entirety, yes, sir. Hmm. Because yeah, because uh, it, it is one of those tempo ones. Everyone sort of mentions, "Oh, dude, you got this." Is the one where such and such did this? But yeah, from top to bottom, what do you think? As a whole, I really liked it. I think it was probably better than ninety six percent of the WCW pay per views <laughs> I've watched. <laughs> so, no, it was really good. It was very very enjoyable. Um, I don't even think there was a match I really hated. Like the 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 tag title match was probably like the worst, but that was just funny because they took dumb bumps. Yeah, like, but the whole show, the show as a whole, was really, really fun. Like the IC title match, even though Jr. did call it the European title, um, was awesome. Like you know, just a quick little big boy fight. Mm-hmm. Kane and Taker was incredible. Um, the mixed tag was, as we said, way better than it had any right to be. Um, I yeah, I really enjoyed this whole show. It was really, really cool. It was good to watch to finally watch it start to finish. 
Yeah, quite a, a cool little sort of segment there. Simon, did it live up to the hype that it did uh, from uh, from when you were a kid? Yeah, well, I thought I was crazy because I remember a few months ago, and you've said it a couple of times on the show, that you didn't think much of this WrestleMania. And then I was like, no, this one's good, isn't it? And then I was interested to watch it back. And you know what? It lived up to the hype. To me, this is a show where like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There isn't a match that's necessarily a five-star classic, but as a whole, it all works. No match is bad. Everything's entertaining. It all builds. Everything kind of pays off. And it's fun. It's less than three hours long. Like It's a fun couple of hours of wrestling. I still liked it. I actually think on re-watching it, I'm going to have to renege on my comments because you're right. Watching it as a complete match, because the thing is, and I think the thing that ruins it, well, in hindsight, is that there are better Mania matches. But when you look at it for what it is at the time, you can't compare this to WrestleMania X7. You can't compare it to WrestleMania 2000 even in California. Like... This with pretty much without this mania, you don't get those other ones. Yeah. And also as a whole, I'd argue it's a strong mania because nothing's bad. I know nothing's amazing, but nothing's hmm. bad. And no. we haven't had a WrestleMania with nothing bad on it for a very long time. And that's, you know, a product of them being so long and a different type of show now. So hmm. of the three hour era, this is a strong WrestleMania, I think. Yeah, very much so. But let's go through our MVP. Who do you reckon is the uh, most valuable player for that one? We'll start off with you, Owen. Oh, um, I it's reckon a tough one. It is a tough one because everyone was was were quite strong. Um, I would probably go with. Uh, I I would honestly probably say it's hard to do. Undertaker, I probably probably Undertaker. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon Undertaker. I mean, I think also as more as like a as a whole because it was like it was the end of the feud, and mm-hmm. he did a really good job at like ending the feud as well. Yeah, um, and also he did some crazy shit in the match too. But his storytelling was always really good in matches, especially big big matches as well. Um, but I think it was a great way. Like, I think he tied the bow in that in that feud really well. So I'd probably go Taker. Yeah, very good. What about you, Simon? Oh, this one is a tricky one. It is yeah, really, everyone's it, it's a hard one. Wrong on this. I'm, you know what? Jim Ross's commentary, I thought, on the show was yeah. really good. And especially in the main event, obviously, his call at the end and Austin, Austin, and all of that kind of stuff is really good. So maybe Jim Ross. It's too I obvious thought- to say Mike Tyson because he sold the pay-per-view. That doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go JR. I'm going to... like. I've, I've always... And- with the benefit of hindsight, and bear in mind, I've always thought this up until 2002 before he made his return. I always thought this was Shawn Michaels because, yeah, um, this is I always saw this pay per view as his make good for WrestleMania 13. Yeah, true, because he's not there. Actually, you know what? This is his last match of this era, so we're probably not going to review a match of his again on this show. We've no. called him the MVP of virtually every WWE show he's on. <laughs> Why not? Let's give it to Shawn Michaels one more time. Because seriously, would, he looks like he's dying at the end of the match. And he he does. Mm. I would like to change my vote from Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> Still a valid Sa- one, though. To Sable. <laughs> oh. Sable kills it. Exactly. She really yeah. does. She's incredible. 
but Sable was amazing. She wrestled incredibly well. She sold the story so well. And then like her like face turn was incredible. She was brilliant. Give it to Sable. Give yeah, yeah <laughs> my vote to Sable. Vote so Sable, Sable. Sable gets the big thumbs up there, Berta. Yeah. yeah. Look, all in all, top to bottom, yeah, a very, a very monumental pay view and one that uh that is definitely worth the hype. But um, our next show is, of course, a WCW one. We're looking at Uncensored 1998. Uh, oh. It is it's highlighted by uh, the first ever NWO versus NWO match, if I recall correctly. Uh, Hollywood Hogan takes on Randy Savage in the main event, but this is also um, it's a, it's a monumental one too because it is Scott Hall challenging Sting for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in the this is basically his cash in for um what's it called Starcade not Starcade World, World War, War 3, III. no World 1997, War 3. 1997 because obviously he was meant to have his title shot at Super Bowl but because there wasn't a champ it got moved to Uncensored and uh, now's a good time uh, as as any to mention of course unfortunately the untimely passing of Scott Hall uh, which is a yeah. damn shame. And we've really enjoyed his work, as you know, because he's a major player. In fact, we probably wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't do this podcast if it wasn't for Scott Hall and what he did on that Nitro coming to the crowd saying, you know who I am, and but you don't know why I'm here. Yeah, there is no war to relive without Scott Hall. And honestly, all you need to do is listen back in the archives and you'll know how big of a fan of Scott Hall we all are. I honestly yeah. on the WCW side, I don't think there was anyone that we've praised more so far. Every single pay-per-view, he pretty much steals the show, whether it's a yep. match or a segment, one of the absolute best of all time. I think I said to you guys in like our group chat, I, I want to actually like genuinely thank you guys for um having me on the show to watch WCW stuff. A because I haven't watched it before, but B to to show how good he was as a tag team wrestler. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, because I would never have seen it otherwise, like unless I really, you know, sorted it out. But like him as a tag wrestler was amazing. Like he's all Razor Ramon and Scott has always been one of my favorite wrestlers. One of my very few wrestling figures I have is a Razor Ramon WrestleMania 10 figure. Yeah. So like yeah, like like not you know, people say, you know, celebrity deaths shouldn't really like upset you, but this one kind of really did hurt a little bit. So yeah, I I do yeah, like the amount of times I've watched, you know, the ladder match with him and Sean and and um his match at was it um Survivor Series ninety three against Bret Hart? Uh or, King not Royal Rumble ninety three. Yeah, Royal the Rumble and, and Royal Rumble and King of the Ring ninety three, like those matches are like just so good. He was incredible singles wrestler and his character he was just the coolest dude ever, man. Like there was no, no one ever cooler than 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 Scott Hall. And incredibly selfless as well, too. Like you could argue that you know, we talk about X Park and Six and what he does. There is no Six without that match against. Uh, in fact, that's why they called him the One Two Three Kid because yep. he beat Razor Ramon. And then, and then the, the, there's a lot of there's a story going around on Twitter at the moment that how um, in a very rare New Japan Pro Wrestling tour that um, that Scott Hall did in 2001, he did the same. Sorry, 2002, he did the same the same match with Hiroshi Tanahashi when he was a young lion. And that's what kind of ex- like just excelled Tanahashi to where he is today. So, yeah, pretty, really? um, pretty amazing person and wrestler. Yeah, and uh, and the the one benefit is that uh, of Scott Hall's passing is you know like he's been clean for close to a decade. Like this isn't this is a very tragic death, but it could have been incredibly more tragic. Like he, he's 
since 2013, since he cleaned up his act, like he's sort of been living his life to the full. Like, and DDP and what what, what he's done with Jake the Snake and and Scott Hall, is, it can't be understated. But yes, we look forward to watching Uncensored 1998 because at least that's one silver lining. We always know that a Scott Hall match, especially against Sting for the World Championship, we, we all know the spoiler alert. He's not he doesn't win it, but it's going to be a damn entertaining match. Yeah, we know he's going to pull out. He's probably going to pull out the best of Sting we've seen so far on this show. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Mm. Yeah, Scott Hall was the man. And I think it'll be appropriate on that WCW show to go more in depth of some of our favorite matches we've seen of his so far. Yeah, I I agree. Very much so. But uh, before we leave, though, I do want to mention one of my favorite Scott Hall tropes that he ever does. And that is where he does an armbar. And he'll actually he'll lock it in and then start smacking the head of the person <laughs> who's like, like because like there's a, like he he plays that cocky heel so well that no one else could do it like him and it was kind of cool to see uh, the little tributes on Raw like um, Damien Priest giving a, a mega raises edge Kevin Owens opening up with a, with a hey yo like it was just cool to see and he'll be but very that, tragically missed that's the great thing about scott hall all of his signature moves were signature moves because he added personality to him you mentioned an, an armbar just like his <laughs> abdominal stretch where he'd have the guy in it and he'd really wrench and like do facial expressions they're and not moves that like, you should remember you know and he would start like slap like like playing drums on this on their stomach and yeah. slapping their guts and yeah. stuff like just the doing man. dumb shit. It's so cool. Well, think uh, about it. We're talking about an armbar and an abdominal stretch. This is a guy who got a toothpick over. That's what yeah. he could do. Give him something simple, and he'll make it. The and the Jerry the curl. And the look. I hundred percent did that when I had longer hair. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Vale to Scott Hall, and yes, we will go through some of our favorite Scott Hall matches on our next edition of Reliving the War. Uh, Owen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on board for a a great WrestleMania, and actually have you leaving uh, this show going, man, I'm, I can't believe they made me watch a good one. <laughs> And I look forward to having the wind sucked out of me next week. <laughs> but Actually, yeah. no, on, on paper, that WCW card looks pretty good, but we'll see what happens. I might, eat my, might have to eat my words. Yeah. I remember the tagline for it is rules are for fools. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that wraps up another edition of Reliving the Walk. Go and check the archives uh, if you want to catch up on everything from King of the Ring 1996 slash Bash of the Beach 96 up until WrestleMania 14 and beyond. But uh, we will see you next time for another big edition of Reliving the Walk. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.